Amen. Hey, one more time. Good morning. Look, look a little different. It's amazing how quickly you can change clothes when you're in a rush. Um, if it's your first time here, I just want to say welcome. Uh, you've come to us as we're wrapping up the summer. We're going to finish out our summer school series today where we've said, hey, there's always something that we can look at in Scripture and look at it kind of like summer school. Like, hey, I need to have a little more teaching time on that. And we're going to go through that today. I am not going to joke. I have 29 minutes up there. Um, this is an entire series that I'm going to attempt to do today. So uh, going to be respectful to life groups. I'm also going to talk very fast. And so today, as we wrap this series up, uh, we're going to look at a word and need to understand that one word a little bit better. Because sometimes our understanding of a word dictates a lot of our life, right? Like take the word love. You've heard me probably talk about that one before. In the English language, there is one word for love. Love. I love my wife. I love tacos. If I don't understand the depth of the word love and I try and assign that the same thing, I'm going to be in trouble, but I'm going to be full. Um, and so when it comes to something like that, you need to understand, like, what does love really mean? Well, today we're going to look at salvation. Salvation is such a simple word in some senses. Like, y'all, everybody, like, went, oh, whenever, like, little Mila came up. When I'm talking to her yesterday, I'm like, you're the tiniest person I've ever baptized, but you love Jesus, so you need to get baptized. Um, it's something so simple a child can understand it. And yet salvation is also something that has such a depth to it. And it's one that God is actively involved in every aspect of it, bringing glory to himself throughout its entirety, from the moment it begins and even before it begins to all of eternity. And so we're going to dive into salvation today. Um, if you have any kind of church background, sometimes you hear the, the phrase like three points in a poem. Uh, that's what the, the preacher does. That's not today. I got nine points in a lot of scripture. So here we go. Um, the order of salvation in nine parts. Yeah, there's actually technically ten parts of salvation. Like something that we look at and we hear that word. And so if you want to take notes today, like I said, I'm going to talk super fast. But you can write a lot of stuff down. But we're going to go through these nine different aspects of salvation. Um, the first kind of stands alone. Uh, the second through the fifth kind of happen almost instantaneously. Um, and be, be, it's becoming a believer. Um, parts six and seven, they're in our life. Part eight is in our death. And part nine is for all eternity. And so here we go. The first, in the order of salvation, the first thing is election. And if you're writing things down, now here... I'm trying to divide some things up, but I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. Because everyone saw that word pop up behind me. And for some of you, you went, oh, I'll write that down, election. And some of you saw that word and went, yeah. And some of you looked at it, and it was weird. And you've, I said the E word in Christianity in your life. Um, this word has a lot behind it, and this word can divide a lot. Um, literally... If you look throughout the history of Christianity, this word has split some different theological things. Um, I said last week there's things to be open-handed on, there's things to be close-handed on. I can be open-handed on this one. Now, I also just put it up as the first order of salvation. <laughs> so that probably tells you kind of my background. Um, but I understand this is a word that sometimes divides and I don't want it to. I just want to talk about it a little bit because I do believe... Before the foundations of the earth, God was already involved in this beautiful thing called salvation. Um, I believe the Bible teaches it. 
If you go to the Old Testament, here's a question. Who were God's chosen people? The Israelites. Like, no one really argues that. Why the Israelites? It could have been anybody else. There's a whole lot of ites in the Old Testament. It could have been the Amorites, Philistines, Canaanites, all these different ones. God chose the Israelites. He called Abram um, and said, I'm going to create this nation out of you. And it was all because that was God's choice. Um, in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, Luke writes this. He says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many who were appointed, that these were the ones that God had called for no other reason than this was God's choice. And the way that Luke writes about it, it's almost like happenstance. It's almost like this was just the normal occurrence within that. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I'm going to read that one from here. Um, in verse 28, going through verse 30, Paul writes this, he said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, also glorified. We're going to talk about a lot of those words here in just a minute. Like, Paul believed this. Like, this was a main teaching that Paul talks about. Um, and so, here's a couple things. <coughs> Excuse me. This word, like, if I have to come back and spend a lot more time talking about it, I'll be more than happy to. I know this sometimes, like, I'm trying to do this in a couple minutes. This word at times can be confusing, but this is God looking throughout time and saying, I see you in 2021 for some of these kids, or in the 80s for others, in the 1500s for others, and saying, I am already calling you to myself, and you're not even born yet. I hope it offers a little bit of comfort. God always had his people in mind. Before the foundation of the earth, before light existed, God already had us in mind. It's also, sometimes people go, well, if you kind of run with that, then why do we do evangelism? Like, we shouldn't do it. I would argue completely different. My belief on this encourages me to be very evangelistic. I don't know who God called, but I know that I've been called to preach. And I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it early and often. And so hopefully this is an encouragement for evangelism. If you want some further resource on this, um, talk to me afterwards because I can give you a link to a really good message on it. Second step, I got through one, now on to the second one, is the gospel call. So before the foundations of the earth, God saying, I know who is going to be there. And then there's what we call the gospel call. It's what I try and do every week. It involves a couple of things. One, it's a message that one, all have sent. That's everybody. I don't shy away from that. Every single person in here, hear me. I love you. You're sinful people. I can say that much more so to some because I have a family here and I know what's going on. So <laughs> it's a reality. Everybody's sin. I don't think people argue that anymore. I think there was a time where people were like, oh, you can't tell me that. I think now people are almost like apathetic to it. Yeah, but what does it matter? Well, all have sinned. Um, and the second one is where it matters. The price of that sin is death. The Bible says the wages, the price of our sin is death. It separates us from God and left to ourselves. You can't self-help yourself enough. You can't be a nice enough person. Um, you can't donate and buy your way into it. 
The price of sin is death. And praise God, there's a third part. Christ paid that penalty for our sin. There's a big fun word in the Bible called propitiation. It doesn't get used enough anymore. It just rolls off the East Texas hick tongue. Propitiation is a legal term, meaning it's been paid for. And Christ paid for our sin with his death. And the gospel call is when that message in its entirety that, yes, we are sinful people, the price of that sin is death, and yet Christ loved us enough to lay his life down for us. That's what we call the gospel call. And it's why I share the gospel every single week. I know this is what I've been called to do. I'll tell you this, you've been called to do the same. And so we share the gospel, and that message of truth goes out, and that message of hope goes out. And when that happens, we get step three, regeneration and conversion. These essentially happen at the exact same time, like they are in the same breath, in the same moment, in the same element. And so in John chapter 1 and verse 12, John says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh of the will of man, but of God. So regeneration is that word that we use that we also use lots of other words depending on maybe your church background or how old you are, but to be born again. That's a very Christian term, like there ain't anything else in the world like to be born again. When Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, uh, it throws him off. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, how can I get back in my mother's womb? I'm a grown man. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, That's weird. Don't go there. Um, But to be born again, to be saved, um, to be made into a new creation, that's what regeneration is. See, I love that when he's talking about that, he likens it to this idea of being born again because, again, this actually points everything back towards God. Who in here chose to be born? No one. Like, you didn't magically whisper through space and time to your parents and say, I know some things. I know how I arrive here, get to work. Like, that's not how this plays out. When a man and a woman truly love each other, um, that's, that's where you came from. You didn't choose that. And yet, in this, it's kind of the same thing. Like, God looked out and chose to make us his children. In regeneration, I'll also say this, it's kind of a mystery. We don't know what all takes place in that exact moment. But I know the Bible says that we're made into a new creation. Now, what God does in that instant to take a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh as scripture would say, to make a new creation, to take something that was dead and make it alive, that's something we can talk about in heaven and say, hey, what all did you do where some of you know, like there was a moment where it clicked and you fell in love with Jesus and the way that you used to be seemed so foreign. Like, I don't want that anymore. What made me want to look this way and run this way and love this God? That's the mystery of the gospel. But in that moment, God breathes into us and makes new life. And the way that he does that is through faith. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, some of the most famous verses in Scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So by grace we've been saved through faith. 
in regeneration, in that moment, God gives us the faith to believe in him, to go from being dead to alive. That faith is given to us where suddenly something that at times seemed foreign, maybe because it's like, I didn't grow up in church and that seems weird. It's, at times it's hostile. Where there's tons of stories of people who go, man, I, I hated the idea of God and I hated the idea of church and everything like that. And then suddenly what changed in that? Well, faith was given to us and it says that wasn't your own doing. It was a gift from God. Here's the gift that's going to start this process. And I'm going to give you faith to believe in me so that no one can boast. So that no one can say, man, look how awesome I am that God would love me. Like, you don't split the glory with God, right? Like, no one wants to do that. Like, when it comes to certain things, like when my kid does something good, I, I love to say, yeah, that, that's from my side of the family. Like, my wife and I will kind of go back and forth a little bit. When they do something bad, you flip it around, like, it gets that from you. Um, you don't do that with God. Who gets the glory? God. All of it. I don't want to split any of it with him because that would be, one, heretical, and two, stupid, and three, sinful. (laughs) All at the same time. Like, I want him to have all the glory. He's the one who gave me the faith to believe in him. And so true faith involves a couple things. One, it's knowledge. Who Christ is. Like, and this is more, like, this is learning, okay, I I know that there was historically and in reality— 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus, and he's walking around, he's doing ministry, and I acknowledge that that is a part of history. Like, I I, I have the knowledge that that happened, but then we have to take it a step further, and it's approval. Like, not only do I see that Jesus was there, but I see that what Jesus was doing was right. When he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and he talked to people, and he talked to them so differently than their religious leaders did, And the religious leaders were unbelievably mad and offended and all those things. But I know what he was saying is true. I I approve of that. Like, I, I I have the faith now to approve that. And then it comes to its logical step. Personal trust. Where someone goes, hey, more than just Bible knowledge. There's people with a ton of Bible knowledge. Scholars, doctorates, everything like that. That aren't believers. And they would tell you. Yeah, I, I study this from a historical standpoint, but I don't believe this is all real. This is, one, the knowledge of that, the approval of that, but then going, you know what, I personally believe that. Like, I remember that moment for me where I said, you know what, I believe in Jesus, I believe that everything that he did was right, and I need that in my life. That faith was given to me to have that personal trust. That's the gospel. As it's preached, a moment where a person looks at their life and says, I see the things in my life, and yes, I acknowledge that that is wrong. I also acknowledge that not only is it wrong, it is separating me from God. And I acknowledge that he loved me enough to send his son, who lived a perfect life and laid it down so that I could have forgiveness that I can't earn on my own. It only comes through him. I make that personal right now. I want that to be who I am. I want to be a follower of Christ. And in that instant, that person is a new creation. And these things like that faith and and that decision and that moment and that change, all of this kind of happens in an instant. It's in the exact same breath where God just takes someone that's dead and makes them spiritually alive. And then we move to the fourth thing, justification. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
Every believer needs to love this verse deeply. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even as believers, there's times where, man, we look, and I look at my life, and I think, man, I should be so much further along in my faith. I shouldn't still be struggling with this or dealing with this. And we, we heap that upon ourselves. We beat ourselves up. And I want you to hold on to that. When God looks at you, he has no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. Then in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Long time ago, the question was asked, like, how is it that I as a sinful person can ever stand before a perfect, just, and holy God? It's justification. Because when we, if we are believers, stand before God, hear this, God looks at us and he says, I don't see your sin. I see Christ's righteousness. That's what he sees. Christ's blood poured out for us, his life, his righteousness that invades us and makes us a new creation. And God goes, look, I know it's not like I can't see it. I know that you're still messing up from time to time. I know the thing that you struggle with. I don't see that. You can stand before me because I see Jesus Christ's righteousness. It's been poured out for you. It's been all over you. And that's what I see. Praise God for that. How can we stand before a perfect and holy God? It's only through Jesus Christ's righteousness. And then, because we're justified, because we've been made into a new creation, we have the opportunity for adoption. Like we're adopted into God's family. We're made into the body of Christ. And this is like the most beautiful adoption story in all of humanity because it is for humanity. And so in John chapter 1, verse 12. Do we have that one? Nope. Forgot to put, there's a lot of notes here. I told Don, I was like, um, this one's going to be a little bit longer than before, and I obviously forgot to put that one in, so... Good thing I have a Bible and know where John chapter 1 is. And verse 12, he says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Man. We get this beautiful story of adoption. Where he brings us one into a family. And we look to God and say, he's a good father. I know within my generation sometimes when we talk about the Trinity, like we love the Holy Spirit, we love Jesus. And I remember talking with my mom about this once. Sometimes in, in today's society, the idea of good father is hard to understand because there's a lot of absentee fathers. There's a lot of fathers that just aren't there at all. Um, and so that notion at times, like I remember my mom saying, your generation talks about Jesus so differently than mine. And I said, yeah, and your generation talks about God very differently than mine. And yet, when we're adopted, we get this beautiful picture of a good father. A father that loves us enough that he'd lay the life of his son down for all of humanity. A father that loves us enough that he gives blessing in so many different things to us. He is a good father, and we're brought into that family. We're also given 
even when I wrote my notes this week, I'm like, it's so weird living in 2021. You are given privilege. That word means a lot of different things right now, but I'm going to say this. As believers, we are given this unbelievable privilege of one prayer. We have the opportunity at any moment of our life to pray and talk to the creator of the universe who loves us deeply, who speaks to us through prayer if we will listen. We have the opportunity to go before him with all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of our joys, all of our sorrows, and he hears every one of them. You're given a new name. You're a believer. You're a Christian. Like you're a child of God through this adoption. It's this beautiful thing. There are blessings that are poured out. When we read the story of the prodigal son, when the son comes home, what's the first thing the father does? He hugs him. He takes a ring and puts it on his hand. This is blessing and sign. And man, God has blessed us immensely. I'm thankful to live in the time that I live in. I'm thankful to live with things like lights and electricity and, you know, working toilets and things like that on top of all of the other real blessings that I have. I go home later and two crazy little boys that are both in school now and pray for them. But they're an absolute blessing. And there are times where we can butt heads and I don't care about that. I know that that is an absolute blessing from God. Like this is this beautiful story of adoption. Like it's one that in the next couple of years, Whitney and I, we, we really want to adopt. Um, we were looking at one country years ago. They've changed up so many laws. That's not going to be a reality at this point. And so I keep trying to inject my thoughts into it. I'm like, let's adopt from like Norway, Sweden, somewhere Nordic. Whitney's like, why? I said, well, one, one, we want to adopt a girl. I'm like, she'll probably be blonde, look like the other ones. Um, she'll probably be tall from all that Viking stuff. And so like, we'll finally get some height in the family. And I want to teach her to play golf. It's the most unused scholarship in all of college sports is girls' golf. Um, what's funny is one time years ago, I was Uber driving in College Station, and I got done, and I called Whitney. I said, I met her. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I met our daughter. She's like, what? I said, I just drove this girl that was from Sweden. She's 22. She's working on a master's in some engineering thing, and I think that's who we should adopt. <laughs> like, I feel like it's a good investment. And she's just like, you need to go back to work. But like, adoption is this absolutely beautiful thing. Like for years as a church, we prayed for a couple that went here. And some of us, just a couple weeks ago, we got to go to a courtroom downtown. And a judge said, these are your children now. And man, it was awesome to see that. And yet, the biggest adoption that's ever happened is when God looked at all of humanity and said, I will make you my own. And so adoption becomes this beautiful, beautiful thing. And now that we've been made believers and we've been adopted into the family and we're justified before God, now we have sanctification. It's number six. Sanctification begins the moment that we believe. Sanctification is being made more into the image of Christ. It's, it's Christian growth. Sanctification begins the moment we accept Christ, and it continues through our entire lives. Each and every day, we are hopefully on this upgoing thing of I'm being made more and more like Jesus. I'm falling more in love with him. I'm letting go of things in my life that don't need to be there. Hopefully, you look different today. If you're a believer, hopefully you look different today than you did one year ago. Hopefully, in five years, you look different than you do today, but it's going up. That's what sanctification is. It's just growing in him. And we do it a lot of different ways. One, through his word. 
we study God's word and we read it and we let it read us. And there's times where we go, I don't know what that said. And we try and figure out what it said. And that's the reality. And it doesn't matter where you are on that path. This is for everybody. I tell people there's some scripture that scripture itself would say, this is milk. What do you give to a baby? And this isn't like if you're a young believer, this is not meant to be offensive. Like, but what do you give to, a, to an infant? Milk. You don't give, a milk, or you don't give an infant a fillet. It's not good for the system. <laughs> but as we grow, the Bible would also say, hey, you need to leave the elementary teachings of the Bible. What do I live life off of? Not milk, meat and potatoes. Amen. Medium rare meat and really just potatoes. I don't eat vegetables. I've made it 38 years without them. I'm going to be okay. So as we grow, as we grow, we leave behind some of the milk, but there's a time where you need it. And then there's some scripture, I, I kind of say this, there's some scripture that's like alcohol. And that may sound like a weird analogy, and some people are going, well, I'm going to read the Bible more. No, um, what I mean by that is within the United States of America, there is an age at which if you choose, you can have an alcoholic beverage. It's not mandated, but there is a time where it's expected you're going to mature a little bit in order to get here. Like nine-year-olds don't need to be running around throwing back IPAs. Like there's a time where there's a maturity. You get to a point in life, and you're, it's your choice. I say there's some scripture that I, I say, hey, it's like you want to really dive into election headlong? There's some scripture. I don't need to give that to a young believer. It's going to be way confusing, way, way confusing, and I've, I've seen that. But as you mature, and if there's some areas where you say, hey, when it comes to like end times and that area of the Bible, like I, I feel like I want to dive into that and I want to study it. Like that's some deep stuff. You're going to need to be, have some maturity to that. You want to dive into some deep predestination, reform theology, you're going to have to have some maturity to that. But we study it no matter where we are on that sanctification scale. There is God's word for us. Then we get involved in things like equipping class. We get involved in things like life groups, and we study, and we grow together, and we become more like Christ. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to have kind of a life group kickoff. I want to say this. As you're listening this morning, and we're talking about growing in our faith, we need more life groups. We've got a number of them. We're starting new ones this fall. But as our church grows, I tell people, as we grow bigger, we've got to grow smaller. And that's where life groups come in. You may be in one right now. You may be leading one. You may be sitting there going, you know what? I have some maturity. We need more life groups, which means we need more life group leaders, people that will step up and say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to maybe not even lead. I'll use the word facilitate because we also have that thing called Right Now Media. There's a ton. Like if you're like, man, I just don't feel like I can teach, but I can hit play. <laughs> like there's a, my life group will be using a Right Now Media here in a couple weeks, and I, I'm the leader. I could also say I'm facilitating this group. And so if you feel that of, hey, you know what, I'm ready to step up into that, I need you to put that on a connect card or talk to me. Um, because that's an area where as sanctification happens, we're going to need more of that to help lead people and grow them up. And so now that we've been sanctified, we have perseverance. God preserving us through this. In John chapter 6, verse 38. It's this, 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As we are believers, we remain in Christ because God wills it. Jesus looks out and says, anything that the Father has given me, I don't lose any of it. I'm batting a thousand on it because I'm willing that. Then in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, this is a little bit longer when it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, but we we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things... More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are times where we can question our salvation and go, man, am I, did I really get this? Do I, do I, does he, see my sin and not love me anymore I told you earlier Christ looks at us he doesn't see our sin he sees Christ's righteousness the other wonderful benefit for us is Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for you in every second of every moment of your life that you are in Christ and so this is probably not how it happens but we sin God's wrath starts to kind of stand up and Jesus goes covered it's okay it's not probably how it happens exactly, but that's, he's interceding for you every single moment of every single day. I love that whenever you read Ephesians, it talks about, hey, that through the Holy Spirit, you were, you were sealed for eternity, and, and the, the Holy Spirit's this guarantee to us. And at times, we, we hear those words and think, oh, those, they, they carry this beautiful picture inside of them. Because when it says that you're sealed for eternity, think very old school where they would write a letter and wax would be put on it and either like an insignia ring or a stamp would be put on there and you didn't break that seal if it wasn't for you. If Roman emperor wrote somebody and you accidentally got the mail, you didn't open that because the penalty was death. Um, That's the idea of this level of sealing and it's God's insignia. And when it says the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, the the Greek word there is this, it's like a financial word. It meant like down payment, first payment, payments to come, and it carried the idea that, hey, somebody else was making all the other payments. That's what Christ, he made the down payment, but he's paying everything forward. Like we're sealed in him because he wills it, and he is interceding for us daily. And so we're preserved through our life, and then the next one's kind of different. It's death. That thing that there's not really any experts on death, right? They're not talking. They're dead. Um, it's a reality. Like, how should believers view death? I would say with optimism. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Like, death is a thing that scares us a lot because it's death. It's, it's the end of all things. But I would say this. What's the best day of your life? The day that you experience conversion. The day that you become a believer in Christ. That's the best day of your life. What's the second best day? It's the day you die. That may sound weird because there's some good days out there. June 19, 2010, I married my wife. Don't forget that one. March 9, 2016, or March 9, 2012, I held my son for the first time. August 2nd, 2016, I was literally the family power sliding into the hospital, running in, screaming at everyone because it was that kind of birth, and I held my second son. I don't forget those days. They were really, really good days. But the day of my death will be the second best day of my life because the day that you die, it completes your union with Christ. You experience another thing that he experienced. When he said everything, you've experienced temptation, I've experienced temptation. You've experienced loss, I've experienced loss. I've experienced death, and now you will too. But the good thing is there's one more point. In this order of salvation, it's glorification. Glorification is the moment that as our eyes close to this earth, our body is still here, but our soul is gone. We close our eyes and suddenly they're open and we experience something we've never experienced before. Glorification. The idea of sin, it's not there anymore. There's nothing to struggle with. The idea of pain. As we get older, things start hurting, everything like that. There is no pain. Sickness. It's not there anymore. Suddenly we are known and fully known by God and Everything is as it should be. And scripture says that we're given a new body. When, whenever Jesus returns, like all those other ones are brought back, and you're given a new body, and it's this perfect body. We don't know what it looks like. I'm, I'm leaning towards like Jamie circa 2007. Um, if I'm picking a year model, that's the one I'm going with. Um, but whatever it looks like, the body's going to be perfect. And I don't care what it looks like. Because God says it's perfect, so it's perfect. And then for all eternity, we are with Jesus. So before the foundations of the earth, God is involved in your salvation. The gospel call goes out. and We have the faith to believe in him. And suddenly, we have the ability to stand before God. And we are adopted into his family. And we begin to grow in that. And God keeps us in that relationship. And then we pass away and spend eternity with him. I told you there's a lot to salvation. But the current thread through all of it is God and his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for salvation. God, if there's anyone here this morning and hearing all of this, it... it that idea of personal trust in you gets stirred up and they say, man, I've never had that, but I want it. I would encourage you to say, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from my old life. 
I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of my life and follow him. If that's you this morning, I encourage you, put that on a Connect card. We want to celebrate that because it's new life. God, I pray that you will grow us in our sanctification. You will make us more like Christ, that our eyes will be open to so many things, and we will want to constantly point people towards your glory. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.